Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to talk about a really common topic. And, you know, we talk about canine atopic dermatitis all the time because it's one of the more common things we diagnose in dermatology. But I just wanted to give some hints based on the literature of clinical signs that could be very suggestive of atopic dermatitis. Now, let me be completely transparent here. I am not in the best area to be recording this podcast episode as I'm outside, and any podcaster knows that is like a no-no because you want to be in an area that's really enclosed and doesn't have a lot of spots to bounce off of. But as many of you know, we are going through a medical journey with our son and we are currently have a long day at the hospital. This is currently one of my breaks that I get as my husband is spending time with him so we can get some outdoor fresh air and also take care of ourselves. And that is the time I have to podcast. This is just real life and I'm happy to do it because I love to do it and it gives me a break from everything but I'm just going to throw that out there because I know that this is not the most ideal for sound quality. Luckily I am not a quiet person so I think we're still going to get a lot of good information out of it and you'll hear hear me just fine but um, if there's sirens or things going on in the background you know this is just where we're at right now. So looking at canine atopic dermatitis You know, let me start out, and we have so many podcast episodes about this, but I just wanted to give a short little snippet of what are the common things we see with atopic dermatitis? What are some of the criteria that we can use to feel like we are looking at a dog that has atopic dermatitis? But before I jump into that, I do want to start out by saying clearly we know we have to do the rollouts to definitively say a dog has atopic dermatitis unless they are very clearly like seasonal dog. Canine atopic dermatitis, it's really a clinical syndrome. It's not a single disease. There's so many multifactorial and complex inflammatory things going on. And we just know the skin is kind of that main root of exposure. It's an inherited predisposition that develops hypersensitivities to these environmental allergies that we know normal dogs, you know, see in the environment and get exposed to and they don't have issues with. But dogs who are allergic, to these things in the environment, whether it's dust mites or pollens or danders or molds, they see it with their skin, get exposed to it, and for multiple reasons, they develop these symptoms. You know, we've always thought of this as kind of an inside disease, like it stimulates these cytokines, which we're learning more and more are more important than things like, and more important than things like histamine because of that overreactive immune system. But do not forget about that outside part of the phenomenon and that is that these dogs have an abnormal skin barrier so they allow penetrations of these things too. So we really have an inside outside meaning the inside of us responds to the outside. (laughs) Not us, dogs. I'm not going to speak for humans allergies but dogs their insides overreact to things they get exposed to but there's also an issue with their skin barrier and that kind of goes to some of the skin distribution signs that we're going to talk about but the things on the outside are allowed to get in better. So they really feed off of each other which is why you see dermatologists often prescribing topical therapies diets like derm complete or skin support to actually help that skin barrier so not as much stuff gets in 
We also put them on medication so we can control their inflammatory response. We're also using things like immunotherapy to try to desensitize them so we can use less medication long term. So when we talk about the clinical signs, it's really important to recognize that because this allergen exposure, you know, we try to control by helping the skin barrier, by desensitizing them, by controlling that overactive immune system they have on the inside. So now kind of backing up and going to the clinical signs of what we see. So certain parts of the body we see more commonly in dogs with canine atopic dermatitis, say compared to other diseases that cause paritis in dogs, whether it's parasites, even food allergy, though those can really mask and mirror each other. So we're gonna see a lot of paws, the axillary region. So sometimes I feel like the armpits get kind of ignored. We think of the paws, the feet, the face, but axilla is a huge one in dogs with canine atopic dermatitis. And it makes sense, right? If we think of the axilla and then also the abdomen, which is another you know, really prominent area, we can see paritis and pyoderma in dogs with atopic dermatitis. They're what we call glabrous skin. There's not really hair there. Hair is protective. Hair keeps pollens away from the skin, right? Think of some of our long-coated breeds. Like we don't see as many collies and there's other things that feed into that too. I certainly have allergic collies and there's genetic things that also feed into that. But I really truly think the hair is part of that. It keeps things away from their skin a little bit better. So it doesn't penetrate that abnormal epidermal barrier. So, you know, the axilla, the paws, the face, those are really common areas. Clinical signs can be seasonal or non-seasonal, or they'll start seasonal. We don't think too much of it because they're just getting, you know, a couple ear infections in the spring. Otherwise, they're okay. They chew their paws in the summer. Otherwise, they're okay, but it's a progressive disease. So it can start out seasonal and then become non-seasonal. We can see those symptoms progress with age, which that's where I really start talking to owners about desensitization with immunotherapy. Even if they control well on a certain antipyritic, will they get worse as they get older and all of a sudden they're not as controlled? You know, we want to try to desensitize those dogs younger so we don't have that progression happen and we can be less dependent on medications and have less infections occur as well. Um, there's no path and mnemonic clinical sign. So again, the rule outs become extremely important. And so most of the time we're at a minimum gonna want dogs on very good flea prevention, depending on where you live, but most of us want them on really good flea prevention and especially isoxazoline flea prevention because then you're also helping to rule out other parasites that can cause issues. You know, scabies, lice, chylotiella. You're pretty much saying a no-no to ectoparasites Assuming you have infection controlled and other animals in the house are controlled if you're using an isoxazoline. And we want to give these dogs a chance to have something that is more easy to control than atopic dermatitis. So just again, it's just so important though we try to give these hints of different criteria we can use that we completely recognize history, clinical findings, rule out. It's ultimately how we say a dog has atopic dermatitis. Looking at the literature, a typical age of onset, we see them pretty young. So, you know, it starts anywhere between six months of age to three years. You know, one study said that 78% of dogs with canine atopic dermatitis had clinical signs before they were three. So we usually see these dogs when they're young. And if we see them really young, like six months, you know, nine months, basically under a year with these symptoms, most of us are gonna do a diet trial to rule things out. 
they haven't really been able to have the time to show us if they're seasonal. We know that we can see a bimodal distribution with food allergy. So most food allergic dogs either start very young, under a year of age, or they're more geriatric, never had signs of allergies before, and then all of a sudden they're showing us signs of allergies when they're nine. That tends to be what food allergy does. But also remember that food allergic dogs, it's not as common for them to only be food allergic. Usually they're going to be food allergic and atopic. So that's where it can get really, really, you know, gray and muddy are these dogs that have both diseases. But most of our atopic patients, we have a history of them being younger. We do also know there are certain breeds that are predisposed. So the literature lists quite a bit of them. Atopic dermatitis is pretty common. So Boston Terrier, Boxer, Cairn Terriers, you know, Labrador Retrievers, German Shepherds, English Bulldogs, our Frenchies, Lhasa Apsos, Pugs, West Highland White Terriers. We know we see lots of Westies, Yorkies. So we do know that we have certain uh, gender predispositions. You know, Pitbull Terriers often aren't mixed. I don't know if just aren't mentioned in the literature, but we definitely know that that is a breed that we see a lot of as well. And I say that as an owner of an allergic pity mix. Um, and so those are the important things that we want to recognize is what breed is the animal? How are they showing us their symptoms? Are they on good flea control? Have we had to do a diet trial? Now, the last thing I want to look at is there have been various studies that have looked at criteria. And a lot of this is used in um, clinical studies of okay, we're going to say this dog's atopic, but we have to have some sort of criteria to really prove that beyond the rule outs. And so there is, um, there are studies around Favreau's criteria. And I think we've talked about this in some podcast episodes before, but you'll see this mentioned in a lot of the literature. If we have say a medication they're looking at to see if it helps dogs with atopic dermatitis, they'll require them to meet a, a section of these in order to be considered atopic and so the criteria, and there's kind of different sets of them, but we're going to go with the main one with a set of eight of them. We're going to go through and I'll kind of try to explain why we would say that would suggest it's a dog with atopic dermatitis or what would be ruled out. So number one's age. Age of onset's less than three years. We've already talked about the fact that, you know, majority of atopic dogs are going to show us their clinical symptoms less than three years. Now, owners might not realize they had those symptoms, right? Like that little bit of paw licking. Oh, yeah, I guess that was more than I thought was normal for a dog. But when you dig into the history, they have should shown some of those clinical signs, even if they were more mild. Criteria number two is mostly indoors. Now, I think this is going based off of just the fact that we know that the allergies are more common in certain patients that are in environments that are more urban compared to rural. That's kind of going to the hygiene hypothesis that we see in people. So you certainly can have outdoor dogs that have atopic dermatitis, but that's just one of the things they mentioned. Also, traditionally, it can lessen their parasite loads as well. Number three criteria, corticosteroid responsive paritis. So traditionally, people used to say, well, if they respond to steroids and you think it's an allergic dog, it's probably atopic. If they don't respond, it's food allergic. And we can't, we can't really say that. I've had plenty of food allergic dogs who respond to steroids. However, most atopic dogs really do respond to steroids. And if I do have an atopic dog that I can't even get them to respond to steroids, I am worried that I'm missing something, whether it's infection, whether maybe there is a food component that's being stubborn or it's not allergies at all. Remember, there's other things besides allergies that can ta to, uh, cause dogs to be itchy. Lymphoma, pemphigus, you know, other parasites besides fleas, right? Scabies. So then we have to reevaluate that as well. Most atopic dogs are going to respond to steroids. That doesn't mean that's 
our answer for their treatment, but they should respond to steroids in most cases. I've certainly have really difficult atopics that don't read the book. Criteria number four, chronic or recurrent yeast infection. So yeast infections we struggle to fully get away or yeast infections that happen every fall. We know that's really common with atopic dermatitis. Criteria number five, affected front feet. So really going for those paws. It's probably one of the top areas we know dogs with atopic dermatitis have signs of pruritus towards is paw licking, paw chewing. It's important also not just to say, oh, do they are they itchy towards their paws because owners don't really know what itch looks like. Do they lick? Do they chew? Do you hear the slurping at night? Do they look red? Are they stained? Criteria number six, affected ear pinnae. So if you've seen some of the things I put up on social media, we often talk about otitis, but the pinna gets overlooked. The pinna is a prime area. Again, remember, uh, they don't often have that much hair on the entrance of the pinna. It's lacking there. If they get otitis, you can get it um, kind of trending up towards that ear. I see plenty of pinnal infections where the ear canals themselves actually look great. So owners will come in and say, they're shaking their head, they're bothering the ears. But then they won't be treated because I'll see a report, well, the otoscopic exam looks totally normal. Check the pinna. We know that there's a very common area for them to get infections and a lot of them you can treat topically, but we don't want to miss them. Now, number seven is interesting because now we're kind of getting into the opposite, and that's the non-affected areas. So the criteria for Favreau's number seven is non-affected ear margins. So we said affected ear pinna, but non-affected ear margins. Well, what is this ruling out? What's another thing that can cause a dog to be really itchy, get infections on the ear margins traditionally? And that would be scabies. So we don't usually see their ear margins affected, right? Ear margins tend to be scabies or vasculitis. They don't tend to have ear margin disease with their atopic dermatitis. It's usually their pin is really affected, but not their ear margin. And then finally, number eight, non-affected dorsal lumbar area. So we have another non-affected part. Well, why would we want non-affected dorsal lumbar area? What's a classic thing to happen with the dorsal lumbar area? And that would be flea bite hypersensitivity. So essentially what this criteria is trying to do, and it's not gonna be foolproof, you're always gonna have some dogs that don't follow suit, but they're trying to take out other causes of itch. So what are the common things we see with atopy going over the criteria again? And that's gonna be the first six, right? Age of onset under three years of age, mostly indoor environment, corticosteroid responsive pruritus, chronic or recurrent yeast infections, affected front feet, affected ear pinna. Then the last two of those criteria, non-affected ear margins, so we're ruling out scabies, hopefully, non-affected dorsal lumbar area, so hopefully we're ruling out flea bite hypersensitivity. So if you look at the studies looking at this criteria, what they found was if five of those eight criteria are satisfied, you have an 85% sensitivity and a 79% specificity of having an accurate diagnosis of atopic dermatitis. If you have six criteria satisfied, um, then we get even improved specificity. Actually, sensitivity goes down a little bit. And so those are kind of the things that we're, that we're really looking for. So again, not completely foolproof, but something that can be really beneficial as far as um, when we're doing studies or some of the more common things we can see. So again, you have an old dog who had never had signs of pruritus. It could be atopic. I've had that happen, but maybe we have other things on our radar because they don't fit this criteria as well, right? So we have an older dog developing lesions. Maybe we don't want to forget about pemphigus. Maybe we don't want to forget about cutaneous lymphoma, parasites, other things that could cause it because it's just not as typical. 
We have that dog who doesn't respond to steroids, doesn't respond to something that really should treat atopic dermatitis from a symptomatic standpoint. Okay, again, maybe we think of scabies, maybe we think of mites, maybe we think of a pyderma that's not responding from a food allergy, you know, whatever it is, those are the things that we want to consider. So those are some of the more common criteria that we can see with atopic dermatitis in dogs. Now cats are a whole nother ball game. They have a whole different disease name syndrome and we've talked about those in past episodes of the podcast. But when we look at actual criteria for diagnosis of atopic dermatitis in dogs, the breed, the distribution of the lesions, the response to medication, certain areas of the body not being affected should really help us. It does not replace the rule outs. It does not replace the use of isoxazolines, the use of cytology for infection, the use of a diet trial if you have a dog who's always had non-seasonal issues. We definitely want to do those rule outs. And the last thing that I'm going to mention as far as diagnosis of atopic dermatitis allergy testing is not a diagnostic tool. So just remember, if you're referring a dog for atopic or for allergy testing, it's not to say, well, we'll have the dermatologist allergy test you to see if you have environmental allergies. We already know that they have atopic dermatitis when we allergy test them. We're doing it for selection of ingredients of immunotherapy and the owner is committed to doing immunotherapy and seeing if that dog responds. A normal dog's probably gonna have some positives if you inject their skin with an allergen. What matters to us if it's clinically relevant. So it's not a diagnostic tool, it's a selection tool for therapy and I don't even have owners do allergy testing if they're not going to do immunotherapy because it's just a cost we don't need to incur if they're not going to pursue that treatment of desensitization. So I hope that's helpful. I know canine atopic dermatitis is a big, big topic and it can be really overwhelming of when do you finally make that decision and nothing beats the rule outs, nothing beats the good diet trial, the good infection management, the good isoxazoline use. But some of these things can be really helpful in guiding you to feeling more confident or maybe less confident that you truly are dealing with a dog with canine atopic dermatitis. And again, these are topics we dive in even more so in the Derm Nerds. And so if you really, really enjoy these podcast episodes, I highly encourage you to check out the Derm Nerds. If you go to my website, thedermvet.com, there's an area for the Derm Nerds. There is a race-approved CE um, cytology lecture in there. You know, try even the group out for a month, see if you like it. We do topics of the month, and actually atopic dermatitis, canine atopic dermatitis is one I'm going to be doing soon. So this is a perfect time to join, because sometime at the end of this year, we're going to have a whole month dedicated to an instructional video on it, a case based on atopic dermatitis, and then just discussion and journal articles as well.